The Bible uh, certainly begins with a bang. <clears throat> Get it? Not that kind of bang. Although, it's not impossible. It's certainly, certainly possible that God kicked it off with a big bang. But the Torah begins with these words, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we'll notice something very important in this process there. It's good, right? It's a good thing. God saw that it was good. He says, God saw and he liked it. Now, there are some interesting things to note about the it is goods that I want to talk about. How many it is goods are on the second day? Zero. The second day doesn't get an it is good. The third day gets two. The sixth day gets an it is good. Let the earth bring forth living creatures, animals, creeping beings, etc. God saw that it was good. Cool. So far, so good on the sixth day. Then in Genesis 1.26... We sang it. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. They shall rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animal, the whole earth, etc. The us, let us make, is a big thing. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now that would be seemingly a really good place he had already said on the sixth day, the living things are, that's good. Then he does all this with man. And guess what? No good. He does not say after the creation of man, it is good. There are some other things that he says. The first commandment is issued. What's the first commandment in the Torah? Be fruitful and multiply. Ruthie took that seriously. Fill the earth and subdue it, he says. The earth's bounty is yours to have for food, and it was so. And that was it. Now stay with me, because today we're going to get deep, because it's Bereshit. It's, it's, it's mystical by definition, the creation of the universe from nothing. We're going to get mystical. Not really. We're going to get deep. God saw, it says in verse 31, this is after all six days, after the creation of man, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, a sixth day. Now, as I told you, the sixth day got the animals a good, but the man didn't get a good. The all that he had made after it's all said and done gets a good. Very good, as a matter of fact, but not specifically for us. The apex of God's creative genius does not get a good. Have you ever noticed that? It's like in, in the words of Rabbi Hanoch Waxman, who this message is inspired by, he says, it's the whole key to the first chapter, the good, and it's missing. What's up with that? And someone says, well, that's easy. I mean, Adam fell, and so it wasn't good. Well, it's probably a little bit more than that. It's actually a lot more than that. And that's what I want to show you. But speaking of what's up with that, we need to go back to the bigger mystery. Uh, the, the, the bit of, you know, file that section away. Man's created. No, he saw, and it was good. Okay, File that section away. We'll come back to it. 
<clears throat> let's visit the strange idea of let's make man in our image after our likeness. What's up with that? Well, here are some ideas that you may have heard. Possibly the most popular idea among many people, among Christian traditions for sure, is that the Trinity is having a conversation up there in heaven. That, that that's what's happening. God's looking around at Jesus in bodily form or whatever form and saying, and to the Holy Spirit, hey, let's make them in our image. Let's make man. I once heard a teacher say, God looked at Yeshua and he said, son, I'm about to do this. If I do it, you know what it will mean. Are you willing to do it? And Yeshua said, yes, father, I will. In other words, he created this really dramatic scene, and it's a beautiful story, but I don't think that it is all at all what is happening. And that's another much more controversial kind of thing that we don't need to have controversy today. But I don't think it was God talking with Yeshua and the Holy Spirit in heaven. Other suggestions, the royal we. You know this one, right? Used of royalty and the papacy when dealing with humans, we. But if that were the case, and that's just generally weird, that God would refer to himself as we, why did he not say, we are the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Worship us, the Lord. Why, I mean, why just specifically here would we have the royal we? It's weird. Midrash has a few suggestions, most of which have to do with the angels. You see, Midrash in Judaism tells us that the angels were like, why would you create these scummy people? They're just going to cause problems. Why would you do it? Or that God consulted with the angels because we were going to be created in his image, sort of like the angels, and we didn't want the angels to be jealous. And so God said, hey, guys, I'm going to do this now. I have suggested that that something along those lines is possible because in other places in the scripture, we find a divine counsel idea where, for instance, Job, Job, the Hasatan, the adversary comes before and there's a counsel and there's, that's throughout the, the Bible. So it's possible. It's possible. But here's another one, a practical application based on history and context. It's pretty good. Sort of makes a practical case for the royal we. Okay? Not in the weird, like, Queen Elizabeth kind of royal we. That this is an Israelite monotheistic reflection of pagan language of the divine council. Because this idea of a divine council is all over ancient Near Eastern literature. That there are gods, but there's a chief god. And so Richard Friedman, Dr. Friedman says, in pagan myth, the chief god, when formally speaking to the council of the gods, speaks in the plural. Such language might be appropriate for the opening chapters of the Torah, thus asserting that the God of Israel has taken over this role. In other words, yeah, there may have been inferior gods, but I am doing it. Now, I'm in charge let us do it. It's sort of a, it's, it, it, it's a historical, critical, looking at the other literature of the age and saying that's possible. But this week I read a new one. It's not new. It's been around for a long, long, long time. But I read, the, I read a new statement of it. And it's, it's going to be a favorite for me and maybe the, the thing. You're going to have to hold on to your hats for it because it's going to challenge your theology. And that I like to do. I like to have you think outside the box a little bit. 
<clears throat> and you'll have to stick with me to the end of this to really get the full impact. But right now we're going to start tying together. There's no good for man on the sixth day and let us make. Here I'm about to bring that together for you. You ready? The Rav, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, one of the greatest modern luminaries of Torah study and scholarship, a great, great man. He has this insightful take on the use of the plural us. Who is us? Who is us, he asks. The us is us. The us is us. It is God and it is us. And beyond the confused faces, let me articulate. <clears throat> it is you and me today. It is all humanity before us. It is all humanity after us. Hashem works with humanity to create Adam, to create man and ultimately woman. He created humans as a species from the earth. He formed us. He gave us bodies, the raw materials. He even gave us what is called Salem Elohim, his image. The image of God, that doesn't mean we look like God. It means we have his attributes of justice and mercy and kindness and compassion, intellect, wisdom, love, nurturing. And he created within us the ability to serve him or to disobey him. You know that the Bible says that God created evil. That blows everyone's mind, but that's what the text says. He created us with the ability to serve or the ability to disobey, with boundless potential and countless opportunities for failure. That's how we were created. Now, this is an incredible drosh. He, Hashem appeals to humanity. He will create our physical body, create us in His image, and the rest, our future, what will be made of man is up to man himself. It is not solely up to God, but what we will invest in the task of making humanity. Of creating, mastering, ruling this world that he created for us. And so, listen, when he says, let us make man in our image, he's saying, well, that was, the objection is, well, that was a particular time. That was right then. How often do we read the Torah? We just started it again. The Torah is a living document. The Torah is a guideline for life. The Torah is to be read and revisited all the time. So that every single time you come and read, let us make man in our own image, you remember, respond, and act accordingly to the fact that you are a partner in creation. You are a source of good in the world. God made you to be that but he gave you the chance to also not do that. He says, we are created in this initial state. An initial state, raw materials, let us make man. He says, in our image. But what he's saying here, according to the Rav, and, and I love it, is our image is that my image would look like your image, that we would be reflective of one another. He says it later all throughout the Torah when he says, 
Be holy, for I am holy. It's no different. You see the connection? It's, it's beautiful. It's challenging. It's not, it doesn't fit into any of those other boxes that I gave you. But the good of man on the sixth day was only getting started. There was no good yet. It was not complete. We were and are actually created in an initial state, not of original sin, but of endless potential. You see the difference? The key difference. But that task is not complete. Now, here's an incredible way to understand this idea of man being created in an initial state. I told you we'd be a little bit deep. The Hebrew word bara. That's how the Torah opens. Bereshit bara Elohim. Et hashemayim et haaretz. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The heavens and the earth is not a reference to a specific place. The heaven and the earth is an idea of saying everything, all. It was all there, but as it goes on to say, it's a nebulous void. It is tohu vavohu. It's formless and void. God created bara, the heaven and the earth. It is in its initial state. Can we agree? Genesis 1.1, what is the world? It is formless and void. It is full of potential, but it has not been realized in any way. And this is the time in which God uses the word bara to create. After this, when we move through the initial two verses of Genesis where we see bara, <clears throat> The language changes. We don't see God creating anything else. What we now find is he's speaking, vayomer. He's forming, he's doing, osay. He's, there's different Hebrew. He's taking the raw and he's forming it into things. You with me? God begins to, he, he begins to say with different language, the speaking, the crafting, the making, and then things become good. Then things become good. When he takes, creates Barah, and then he says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he saw that it was good. He took the raw and formed it, Yotzer Or, formed light. And it was good. On, that was on the first day. On the fourth day, God created the luminaries and set them in the sky to separate between light and darkness. Action completed, and God saw that it was good. From the raw to the complete gets a good. The fifth day, let the earth bring four living creatures, and it was so. Action completed, and God saw that it was good. The second and third day are interesting. I told you the second day doesn't have any good. Do you know why? Here's why. It's really incredibly awesome. The second day, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were below the expanse from the waters that were above. A lot of expansion here. And it was so. And it was so. What's missing? And God saw that it was good. It's not. 
It's a separation of waters from waters. That's what's happening here. And there was morning a second day. That is a huge task, the separation of waters from waters, but it's not completed on the second day. On the third day, God says, let land come forth. God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. That's day three. This formless separation of waters on day two was not complete. On day three, it it became sea and land. Sea and land. Now there was something that could grow things. There was something that could prosper life. We have a functional world now. But that's one of the goods on day three. The second good comes along. The earth produced vegetation, plants yielding seed according to other kind, trees bearing fruit, the land brought forth vegetation. Action completed. It is good. So when something gets finished, it's good. You with me? And all of that Hebrew, all of that forming, all of that that happened on two, three, four, five, even the first part of six day is done without the use of the word bara. Remember what I told you bara is? To create this formless initial state. Where do you think the usage of the word bara reappears in Genesis 1? In the creation of man. He says, let us create man. And then when it goes into the actual creation part, it's all barahing. It's three barahing. God says, let us make. That's nase. Let us make. He has the idea, the forming of it. And then when it actually comes along, God created Yivarah from Barah, man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created Barah, him. Male and female, he created Barah, them. That is this simple. To everything I just told you about man being created in his initial state, just like the earth, there it is. We are formed in an initial, full of potential, yet incompleted state. And the word bara shows us this. And we draw this, this, this amazing conclusion as God created the world and then labored to form and perfect it to complete it. So too man in the image of God is to form both this world to goodness and completion. And equally as important as Rabbi Waxman articulates, self-making. Is that uncomfortable to think about? Of course not. That's your daily task, self-making, to make you better, to make humanity better. And thinking through this lens, it is not hard to imagine why when God creates man, he doesn't say he saw and it was good. It was unrealized, incomplete, unfinished, initial state. Barah. 
Now, figuratively speaking, of course, we have structure, we have potential, but, but, but it's what we will do with it, what we will form our lives to be, to make good choices, to be like the image of God we bear, or to choose lives of void, of emptiness, to live astonishingly empty lives. This is our task, to create the better self in service to a better world. Let us create man in our image. God is saying to you, Richard, Kelly, Darren, Steve, Karen, We are not finished. I've given you what you need. Now go and make something great with it that reflects me. Isn't that incredibly powerful? Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. As the Chumash tells us in the commentary, man's creation is never complete. He is always, he, she must always strive to better himself or herself and his or her world. Now here's the objection, and I'm going to move us toward the end. Genesis 1.31, and God saw all that he has made. This is after all six days. This is after, well, this is the sixth day. This is after man's creation and the absence of his good. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. See, Rabbi, it was very good. He loved man. Man was his favorite thing. It's true, but that's not what he's talking about. The text says, he saw all that he had made, The whole creation was before him now in its basically formed state except us. And he says it's very good. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? Because it wasn't very good. It wouldn't take long before this whole thing went to hell in a handbasket. How could he say it's very good when near the end of the first Torah portion? The end of this week's Torah portion, we read, Then the Lord saw, notice, that he saw it was sighed and said it was good. At the end of the portion, it says, He saw the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only raw, evil. In the beginning, he saw that it was tov, it was good. Now, in the end of the portion, he sees that it's, no, it's ra. It's evil, continually. This is the same God, the same creator, the same Torah portion. So the Lord was very sorry that he had made mankind on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I've created from the face of the land, mankind and animals as well and crawling things and the birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I've made them. Fairly quickly, Adam had demonstrated failure. He did not choose to make, to form, to speak life into himself. No, he did the opposite. He invited death into the world. That's what Adam did. Adam made a choice He disobeyed God, and because of it, he invited death into the world. That's the consequence of his sin. Not that you are damned by default, like to burn forever in hell, or that you're some terrible piece of garbage on the heap of trash, in God's opinion. Adam sinned and invited death into the world, and you will die because of it. Okay, this also is another whole controversial message that we're not going to get into. 
How is it then that God can say it is very good? This, my friends, is the ultimate shadow of Messiah. I don't need to think of God up there talking to Jesus before creation and having a talk with him about, are you going to go down and save the people? I don't need that. I want to know how God could say it's good and this is the shadow of the Messiah, the one you should take out of Genesis 1. God sees the whole story. My dad told me one time, I'll never forget it, he was talking about the parade analogy. Life is a parade. Guess what? You're sitting on 2nd Street and Green Avenue and you're watching it all go by. You're just watching it. You're seeing little bits of it as they pass by you time as time progresses. Where is God watching the parade? He's at the top of a skyscraper and his vision is spectacular. He can see the beginning of the parade. He can see everything that's going on and he can see the end of the parade. He knows everything that's going to happen. So your little focused bit of parade vision is nothing in comparison to the scope of what God sees. God sees all. <coughs> and he says it's good when it's finished. And this is one of the most powerful revelations I've had in years and years of studying the Bible. God sees the beginning and the end, and I want to take you forward. Initial is raw. Finished is good. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scriptures would be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. You see? No matter how good, no matter how much we strive and even succeed in our task of making ourselves in God's image, no matter how hard we work to create man, even with God's image within us, we can never overcome death. We can never beat that on our own. We can never return to that garden to live forever as it was supposed to be. But God could look forward on the sixth day because he can see the end of the parade and say, it is good because there will be one who can. There can be one who can live out the perfection of man. There will be one who can be perfectly obedient to my words, to represent God perfectly, to complete the task, to give God a reason to look upon man and say, it is very Good. Could it be when God looks on the sixth day and says, all that I have made takes into account the idea that repentance existed before the foundations of the earth, that the name of Messiah existed before the foundations of the earth, and God looks forward beyond Adam, beyond Noah, beyond exile, beyond everything, and looks to Golgotha and sees the perfection of man, what we are supposed to be. And at that point, point, it is 
finished, meaning there is an eternal hope to beat death. Yeshua is the man. God always has his man. He always has his man. As a matter of fact, next week, you know, the Torah portion doesn't end with all of that doom and gloom. It says, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the earth, from man to animal to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I have reconsidered my having made them. That's not very helpful. But that's not how the portion ends. The portion ends with this one line this week. But Noah found grace in the eyes of Hashem. God always has his man. He always had his man. And his man, our Messiah, is the one who allows the pieces to tie together that for us and for God, it can be very, very good. And next week, we'll meet the first hero in God's plan of redemption. He has a Torah portion named for him. The first, you ready? Savior of the world. Noah was the first savior of the world. We'll meet him and we'll look through some of his struggles and know how we can avoid those very same ones. Shabbat Shalom.